Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Biomast. Uh, glad you could join us. Uh, we're trying something new this week. Uh, since we had a lot of issues last week regarding the stream and my internet not being able to handle all of the streaming, we're actually going uh, just recording this week and, and kind of see how, how people react and, and how they like that. So it, it's an attempt to kind of deliver a higher quality um, audio to you guys and not have to mess with with the stream so we're gonna probably try this for a bit um if there's not a lot of backlash we'll probably continue until my internet improves and we can provide a better streaming quality for you guys so uh that being said we got a lot of topics we've got a guest and we've got some introductions so let's start at the top of the list with soraya zell hi i'm soraya zell um i did my homework this week i saw john wick too um i uh play various blizzard games and uh am a uh significant unfortunately significant contributor to uh the nightmare that is star citizen <laughs> all right and bait hey everybody what's up i'm bait and i'm sick it's going around it's it's been kind of a pain i've, I've been feeling a little under the weather over the last couple of days as well so hopefully you're getting some rest all right and livy hello i'm livy um I also feel kind of sick. <laughs> I got the toddler crud. Um, but I, uh, blogger, and uh, I have not seen John Wick 2. In fact, I don't, I don't know if I was really conscious to see John Wick 1, so I got, I got some things to do. <laughs> All right. Um, and Jay. Yep. I'm Jason. I'm one of the co-hosts here on uh, Biomast. And uh, I'm, I'm actually not sick, although I'm, I'm actually having a pretty interesting time trying to figure out how you guys have all gotten each other sick and you're at least like a thousand miles apart uh you know brought to us by the magic of the interwebs uh so i think that's about it and i just do random stuff like generally i really don't have much of a uh, uh much of an exciting life i'm pretty pretty boring very introverted you guys will see i think most of us can relate here um and thaddeus our guest how'd you introduce yourself man i'm thaddeus reynolds i former dust player obviously Eve player and currently studying software development. Other right, than that, so I'm fairly introverted. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do much. Yeah, and Thaddeus actually um, is the one suggested uh, our kind of main discussion topic for uh, this week, so that's why we brought him in to kind of join in on the fray. Um, and I'm of course Pokey Draven. I help host the show um, and I write for the blog when we get around to do that. And uh, yeah, this is Biomass episode 143. And in, in the spirit of Jay here, uh, the number 143 is actually the sum of consecutive primes between the number 11 and 31. So uh, I'm sure that will well be very done. useful to you well in, your, uh, in your daily lives. You can know what 143 means. Um, but yeah, so we got a lot of topics. Uh, we'll start off kind of like we normally do with some uh, you know, film and entertainment. So some TV shows, movies, that sort of thing. So let's start with uh, Zell. You saw John Wick 2. Uh, tell us how was that? Um, so I gotta be careful because I don't want to spoil anything for you. Um, but uh, it, it was... Uh, Every bit as much of a a solid performance as uh, as John Wick one. Um, they did you know continue to play with their kind of like Assassin's Universe thing that they've they've developed there, and they they uh, definitely set up room for a John Wick three. Um, and uh, you know they it just like it continued, and I I really tried to pay attention to it too. Is um that they uh, I mean with my own lack of any sort of personal experience aside. It, there's a, a level of realism that just continues through. Like, one of the things that I was paying attention specifically in this movie um, was uh, how how much attention was paid to uh, having to reload. 
And uh, so he, he was probably most of the movie was either reloading or he was, uh, you know, grabbing someone else's weapon so that, you know, and, and just swapping through them, which he did a lot of. And the- I'm sorry. Good. Ahead, <laughs> no, go ahead. No, I was I was just I was kind of laughing because that uh, what I've what I found like recently in action movies one generally any kind of action movie like anything that's like uh, it's like military or cop related I I normally can't watch uh, but they've in the last year or two they've they've actually been getting much better as they figured out that we should actually just train people to do this like we would do it in real life because it actually works pretty well as opposed to. You know, the classic, uh, you know, like 80s Hollywood tropes that you see. Yeah. And I, I mean, there were a couple times that it seemed like, wait a minute, it doesn't seem like he did reload. And that's a lot of bullets for a pistol. But it was but it was one of those things like the rare occasion it happened. You could totally buy. Well, you know, they, that probably happened, you know, between cuts or something, because, you know, um, of the cuts that there were. Because, of course, a lot of a lot of the fight scenes were, um, you know, with a very f- small number of cuts that and. Because uh, Keanu Reeves actually learned to do a lot of this stuff intentionally, um, but yeah, there were there were there were definitely uh, funny moments. Um, I would go so far as to say that you could entirely in- get the full enjoyment of this movie um, having only seen this one. You do not really need to see the first one to enjoy this one, um, and, and they do. I mean, they do kind of. They they kind of you know start this movie with a little bit of a, a a recap, um, a little bit of a a rehash on one of the one of my favorite little monologues in the in in the first one, um, and and it I think it both tied the two together really well, but also just gave you enough that you could just go into John Wick Chapter Two and be like, wow, this is amazing. That's cool. I I think I always like it when uh, a follow up movie is. Is le- is legit enough on its own to kind of be a standalone? Uh, I've I've you're probably the third person I think that I've physically spoken to uh, that's actually seen the movie. The other two thought it was is pretty much like I said it was at at least on the same level as John Wick the uh, the original one, which which I think bodes well. Which clearly overperformed when it came out. I mean, no, I don't think anybody was really uh, you know had, had a lot of high hopes on a Keanu Reeves action platform that nobody had ever heard of. Uh, so I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to see that. I'll try to pick that up this week. Yeah, we. I mean, we only cared about it because there was like five or ten seconds of, of you know Legion footage in there. And I just just to to get this out of the way, there was no CCP game leakage in John Wick Two. So <laughs> don't don't go there for that. Go for the fact that it's just an awesome movie. Yeah, that that is one thing I kind of got to got to giggle about uh, with, with the old game Dust Five One Four. There's a there's a lot of internal, just fairly small niche shooter game, but it's really rabid following coming from CCP Games. And um, the it was kind of funny as I actually went and saw John Wick. There was like this massive like forum internet hubbub over like these few seconds of screen time of this uh, this game that really never got off the ground that it never really actually ended up releasing. Uh, and and lost on all of that was the fact that John Wick was actually a pretty solid movie that was wrapping around this like five seconds of screen time this video game got. Yeah, and there were actually people on the forums, still in the forums on Dust, that were that were eagerly assuming that there would be footage from 
CCP's Project Nova in John Wick 2, and I'm just like, guys, really? Like, this isn't some secret outlet for CCP to release material. It was like a one-off, hey, we need the video game footage, and we happen to know a guy at CCP. Like, it's not this big of a deal. But, yeah, that, that whole thing was, was pretty funny at the time. So, Zell, uh, would you say it's it's better than one, about the same, not as good? It's, you know, that's a really hard thing to, to, to for me to judge. I don't... It doesn't. It doesn't feel like the syndrome that a lot of movies have, where the sequel they try to do so much more that it ends up being less quality-wise. But I mean, it's also it isn't as it doesn't feel as original as the first one because I've already seen the first one. So it was really good. I I don't know if I would say it was better than the first one, but it 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 didn't feel like it was worse. Um, you know, they had, a, you know, very similarly they had a, a colorful selection of characters that that were um you know pretty well done not not a whole ton of crossover from the previous one character wise mostly because everybody in the first one's dead um but uh you know i aurelio the the car guys is still in it and um that's that's most of it there and oh and the the continental uh concierge um is there um but uh, a lot of new characters, and uh, they all had their, their interesting little quirks as well. All right, sounds good. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's John Wick just came out just this week, I think. Um, if you haven't seen the original, uh, you can rent it on PSN for $3 for the HD. I think it's $2 for the SD. Uh, I think Amazon also has it available for streaming, uh, either rent or buy. So it, it's out there, and you can get it for pretty cheap if you just want to see it and get caught up for, uh, for the sequel. Uh, moving along, uh, so there was a new trailer that came out for a new Marvel uh, TV show, The Iron Fist, and I don't know much about it, but Jay does. So we're going to let Jay kind of talk about The Iron Fist trailer and his thoughts on it and, and what's going on with that. So, Jay? Uh, yeah, sure. So this is kind of one of the resident comic book nerds that floats in and out. Uh, Iron Fist, it's probably no, no shocker. He's a longtime Marvel character, and this is uh, one of the latest in the Netflix offerings. And uh, I would like to say, you know, quick recap. I think the the Netflix uh, Marvel stuff that they've generally been doing has been one. It's very high quality, uh, really, really well done, uh, and and they do it in a smart way. It's not like over the top. I mean, it's not you're not going to see an Avengers movie type type event, but it does plug in really nicely. It's um, so generally they've got Luke Cage, they've got Daredevil. These are classic sort of street level. Um, you know, heroes, they're definitely not, not, I would hesitate to call them like a B tier, but uh, they operate at a different level than what you'd see the Avengers operate. So the Avengers and then like your classic Justice League, Justice League, that's like, you know, like the world is in danger kind of level, uh, level heroes. Whereas these guys are like working on organized crime or serial killers or uh, like truly like lower level street level type stuff. So uh, Iron Fist, Danny Rand. It, it's in the classic sort of superhero trope that we have of uh, a kid that happens to be a billionaire, has tragedy, and then somehow either works really hard and becomes a, a vigilante or develops some powers or something like that. So you, you get that sort of vibe. So basically, his family was um, pr- pretty well off, uh, you know, billionaire type folks. Uh, and there was an accident on an expedition to a place in uh, roughly the Himalayan mountains somewhere called uh, Kunlun. It's a kind of a mystic city, uh, sort of your Shangri-La type thing. And uh, in this, 
there's there's this huge backstory that's very different than the Netflix series. Long story short, he's orphaned, taken in by the uh, the monks at uh, Kunlun. So you could imagine sort of a a classic, uh, you know, Chinese kung fu sort of world uh, th- that they got, where basically they they have mystical mystical energy, and that that is sort of a known thing, you know, chi power that that sort of thing. So he harnesses this over several years, goes through a, a series of uh, you know pretty fantastical uh, you know training adventures and things like that. Eventually, uh, beating a dragon—it's like this sort of symbolic uh, rite of passage thing. He beats a magical dragon. He's imbued with the power of the Iron Fist. Okay, so fast forward, he leaves the city. This is probably 10, 15 years after he was orphaned. Goes back to New York City and you know comes back to the world as Danny Rand. This is very similar in the way that you would see, you know, again Bruce Wayne going off, uh, you know, training for several reels, coming back and trying to get a start as Batman or you know, the kind of the green arrow sort of thing that you have with Oliver Queen. So again, sort of in that same vein. Uh, interestingly enough, though, in the comics, his father has a, an actual tie to the mystical city. He he was he actually had a personal connection with like the ruler of the city. He'd like saved his life and and had kept in contact with. They were basically friends, and that was one of the reasons that the the city took took the boy in uh, after there was a after the the climbing accident. The, I guess killed his expedition or whatever. So anyway, reference the trailer. Um, I'll say I'll say a couple things. One, I really like the Netflix stuff uh, generally. Two, I am absolutely not sold on uh, Finn Jones as Danny Rand. Like not even a little bit. Uh, he he does not have the physicality to to kind of really pull it off. If you imagine sort of a uh, you know a you know, kind of a Caucasian. You know, about six, you know, not quite six foot, you know, Caucasian version of Bruce Lee, you know, extremely athletic, very, very physically fit. Uh, he has to portray himself as like a literally a a world class martial artist, probably one of the top five or six, you know, unarmed combatants in the Marvel world. Uh, Finn Jones cannot pull that off. I, I've seen I've, I've watched this. It, it just doesn't feel right. And he doesn't have the right look. Uh, necessarily for Danny Rand, at least like in the kind of the traditional comic sense, and and he and the director of Evolve has also has also excuse me uh, have taken some level of pains to describe that this is not the comic book Danny Rand. It is it's like their own personal interpretation of it. Um, so I, I do try to keep an open mind on it because of the strength of the other Marvel offerings on Netflix, but I'm I'm a little I'm a little not so not too not too well sold on this one yet. Uh, the Daredevil ones, for example, extraordinarily good, and uh, I I would say generally got the feel of Daredevil right, and it's a it's pretty gritty, uh, and the fight scenes and fight choreography is just absolutely wicked good, and Charlie Cox like actually can pull off a pretty good Matt Murdock, pretty pretty good Daredevil, so. I'll be interested to see what they do with this because I assume they're gonna they're gonna try to keep that same tone, same sort of uh, style, and this is all really building up to a uh, what they'll call as a defender show. So the defenders was again that sort of street level group uh, where you had Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Daredevil, and there's a couple other uh, you know B or C list folks that would float in and out of there, and they. Um, uh, so they had a series of, of pretty popular comic book runs, but they're, they're obviously building up to that. Now, one of the things I do think is pretty interesting about this is 
particularly with Luke Cage and uh, Iron Fist, those guys have clear ties to Doctor Strange, which was did very well in the box office and actually a pretty solid movie. Uh, but all of the defenders, those kind of street level guys, in in many instances, they would operate for or around Doctor Strange uh, for a variety of different reasons. So there could be room for them actually to. They've there been some growing discussions about some of these Netflix uh, folks to bridge over into the actual MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I'll be kind of interested to see how how that goes over. Reference the trailer itself, pretty standard trailer. Again, well done, looks good. They actually bring in some, you can vis- visibly see the the effect of, you know, the iron fist effect. He gets his fist and arms starts to glow as he channels his power through it. Uh, sort of the, you know, the classic superhero landing where he, you know, like start cracking windows and walls, you know, from the power, from the magical power, that kind of stuff. It looks good, but again, I'm, Finn Jones, I just don't think he's selling it for me right now. Yeah, I'm not too versed in those those TV ones, but it sounds like you know some of them are kind of hit or miss, unfortunately. Yeah, that, well, um, Daredevil started off pretty slow, but I would say it is uh, it, it's clearly got a, a really big following. It was very very well done. Uh, how they introduced the Punisher was really good. Uh, again, very different than what you'd see on like a cinematic sort of uh, Marvel movie, but. Uh, they're, they're done really well. I actually thought the Luke, Luke Cage series, you could literally not call that Luke Cage, like not call that, you know, Marvel anything. And, and you, you could even strip away some of the more like superhero aspects of it. It's just really well done. I mean, it's like, it's a good TV series. Um, so that, you know, from that aspect, I, I think that, I think they're doing pretty well. Uh, I think they needed to add Iron Fist ma- mainly because of how they wanted to put together a, sort of that defenders team. Uh, and it makes sense. I just, I'm, I'm still just really sketchy on how they picked Finn Jones for that, though. Uh, interesting note: there, there was a lot of, um, there's a lot of heat when they actually picked him, and not, and, and mostly because there was, I guess, some, some level of outcry that they wanted an Asian character to play Iron Fist, uh, you because know, they said, hey, it's, you know, sort of a, they wanted like a, a, a racial updating of Iron Fist uh, to reflect an Asian hero. One, he's never been. He's never been Asian in, in the in the cartoons, and and in a weird way, I actually thought that would almost, in in a reverse way, be slightly more not not racist, but like uh, stereotypical of, of Asian characters that they would be a martial arts master. So, I you know in my head, I was like, I, I'm not really sure I'm seeing that, but um, you know we'll see how it goes. I mean, like I said, it'll probably be very well produced, very well acted. David Wenham's in it as one of the bad guys. He's he's an excellent character actor. Um, so, you know, we'll have to, we'll have to kind of see how this one goes. All right. Sounds pretty good. All right. So I think that's, that's, I'm sorry, go ahead, Pete. Uh, I was just asking when that, uh, when that comes out, do we know? Yes. Good question. Any minute now. Uh, I I literally think the first episode may be coming out this month. March, March 17th, 2017. Yeah, about a month out. It's a Netflix exclusive, so you'll pick it up there. Okay. Uh, so moving along, kind of on our, our more gaming related news, uh, since Zell is kind of our, our resident expert when it comes to VR and actually owns Aviv, do you want to tell us about the new uh, head, headband they're coming out with? Um, so this is like a this is actually like a third party one, right? Um, and uh, I, I, you know, it, it seems interesting to me that to, that this is starting to starting to come out that you're seeing some of these third party accessories, right? Like this is supposed to come out in like May, and I think that uh, I think that HTC's own 
improved head strap thing is coming out in like April. So I have a feeling that these guys are going to get upstaged, but um, it was just kind of interesting to see this this third party accessory. It's it's um, uh, more like again the PSVR style thing where it, it's kind of more of a cap that sits on your on the top of your head, and then the the headset just kind of hangs off of that. Um, and they're actually they're making some kind of uh, big claims here. They're 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 claiming that you'll have an increased field of view just by the nature of the fact that they can um, remove some of the the uh, padding from around the the edge of the headset because because it's not being pressed against your face. So they're suggesting that by removing that, they can get your eyes clo- it closer to this to the screen and hence increased field of view. And this seems to kind of follow the the format of the PlayStation VR and that other VR headsets have, have been taking out where it almost rests on the crown of your head rather than being strapped to your face, which as we've discussed is, is probably the direction we'll see most of them going in the future. Cause it is very comfortable to wear that kind of uh, head strap, but yes. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say that. I, I mean, yeah, I think you had, you had like that first generation, your Oculus and your Vive um, came out with what they have. And now that, now that you have the PSVR example, I, I think everything we've seen since has modeled that style. So, um, yeah, I, I just think that that's one of those things that w- once somebody said this is better, everyone else is like, you know what? That is better. Well, I like the the feature that it actually flips up in the front so you can kind of tilt the, the eyepiece away from your face. If you just you know need to look, look across the room, you're not pulling the whole thing off of your head and having to readjust it, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely would say I have had less issues with that frustration since uh, since I learned how to turn the camera on on the on the Vive, so you can kind of uh, see what's around you um, with a you know quick controller button tap. But uh, yeah, I mean that's definitely a thing. Is is taking on and off the headset is kind of a hassle, especially because you kind of have cables and getting it adjusted right on your face. And so, yeah, anything that that reduces that is is great. All right, pretty solid. So the uh, this headset is for, by uh, Reevolve. It's available um, May of 2017, so that's pretty soon. But you can pre-order it now. It's a ninety-five dollars, uh, and is available on their website, which we will have a link to uh, on the description of this show and it's posted. So that's uh, that's available if you are interested in picking up a new headset, or rather, a new strap for your headset. Okay, so moving along, uh, this is kind of a, a hot button um, that's kind of been dancing around for a while, but uh, some time ago, uh, ZeniMax has sued Oculus, um, which is the, obviously the producer of the Oculus Rift, um, for several different things. Uh, ZeniMax was kind of involved in the early stages of Oculus development, and they had filed a lawsuit basically saying that uh, various um, you know, NDAs have been violated and there's been, been some other stuff that... that Oculus did in violation of contract and, and they weren't allowed to do. I think the original amount was, I think, $4 billion was, was pretty crazy. Uh, but they, they did kind of finalize the, you know, the, the charges um, and awarded ZeniMax $500 million uh, to, from Oculus to ZeniMax um, from damages and, you know, the violations of those agreements. So let's take a look here. And I, if, if I remember correctly, uh, Facebook only paid like two billion for Oculus in the first place. I forget the exact number, but yeah, I think it was something like that. So I mean, this would have been <laughs> pretty bad if if you know if the whole thing had gone through. It obviously didn't, but um, so it looks like five hundred million dollars is is broken up into a couple different parts. Like I said, so two hundred million is for the NDA violation, uh, fifty million for a copyright infringement. 
Uh, another 50 million awarded against both Oculus and the co-founder Palmer uh, Lucky for false designation, and a 150 million against former CEO Brendan Irib uh, for false designation. So that's a total of, of 500 million, which obviously isn't nearly as much as the four billion that Cinemax is looking for, but it is a, a still a you know it's a decent chunk of change for, for Oculus to deal with, which. You know, it's a single-time payment, I think, so it's not completely crippling. But considering that Oculus is kind of, in my opinion, straggling in the VR right now, this is kind of the last kind of price they need. So it, it's not good for them. I don't think it's going to destroy the company, but it is, you know, it, it's certainly bad timing. Yeah, because this lawsuit was actually filed back in 2014. So this has been going on for three years now before they finally came to this uh, this uh, conclusion. So, I mean, it's, it's been going for a while. Now, is the do you know if have they like settled all appeals on this then or um, no oculus is, is planning to appeal so okay. this is yeah, just the initial I, initial uh, judgment i just want to bear in mind that like the oracle v google android case started in 2010 and uh, oracle's filing another appeal <laughs> so oh, yeah. these sorts of things can go on for a very very long time well past the time anyone cares about the technologies involved to the point that it just becomes about, you know, lawyers uh, padding their, their pocketbooks with money. Because, you know, at the end of the day, after these lawyers have gotten their cut, who's actually going to get it? I get the, the lion's share of the money here. Well, and that's the thing, is these lawsuits usually go on through appeals for so long that no one ever actually sees any money. So it's more of a it, – it's it's less about the money and more about, you know, the, the, the public view of it and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's it's not good press, but – you know, it, it, will they actually have to pay it out? They could probably keep this tied up for, for a decade, you know, and it, it, at that point, no one really cares anymore because, you know, the VR headset war will be long over at that time, probably. So, you know, it, it will, it'll be interesting to see how this, this plays out, but, you know, it, it is kind of, uh, you know, a work in progress still. But yeah, so we'll, we'll get a link to kind of the full article on that. Um, you can kind of look over the exact details and all the drama between ZeniMax and uh, its software and that sort of thing and how people moved over to Oculus and that sort of thing. So um, that's that's just something you can kind of consider. Uh, but I think that's about it, what we have for uh, gaming news. Now, there's there's several updates that are, are coming out for a lot of the games we kind of follow here. Um, so the first one we're probably going to cover is Star Citizen. Uh, the 2.6.1 has dropped on their player test server. Uh, Zell, do you want to fill us in? A.K.A. the Mo Money, Mo Money, Mo Money patch. Of course, yes. So, you know, so there's actually nothing new you can buy in this patch. Um, that's but, a shock. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a... It's a minor. It's a relatively minor release. It's supposed to be released um, next week to to the live. It's it's kind of funny, of course, still because they have a officially they have a live server and a PTU server, but it's all technically an alpha game. So it's just like the slightly more alpha game version of the game. Um, but uh, uh, the big thing is that they fixed a lot of stuff in Star Marine. Uh, they reconfigured some of the maps to uh, fix the map balance. I guess uh, for uh, one team, it was a little quicker to get to a point, for example, than uh, than the other. So they've uh, tuned that a bit. I guess they're buffing uh, like the shotgun and uh, one of the other weapons because everybody was just playing around with the assault rifles. Um, they are uh, fixing some bugs with ships, fixing some crash bugs as usual. They're retuning some scoring stuff, adding public leaderboards for, for Star Marine and um, 
think modifying the ones for for arena commander as well it's actually it's quite a long list but it is a it is a minor patch technically they're not adding any new features in uh this time around hey so zell i just random question uh, i'm i'm about to show my ignorance here but, but no shocker but what would you say is more is further along as an actual playable game that the masses can actually get a hold of and play? Star Marine or Star Citizen? Um, I mean, they're they're both Star Marine is part of Star Citizen. Um, but I mean, Do you have to have Star Citizen to play Star Marine, or yes. is it actually okay? So for so I I thought it was more of a almost like a standalone, like almost like an app within the game sort of sort of thing. Well, it, it's it's kind of designed to look that way because the, you know, the notion is that death in the star Marine persistent, universe or, or the star citizen persistent universe is supposed to be kind of a big deal. So obviously if they're going to have a, you know, lobby shooter where people get shot and killed a lot, um, they've, they've kind of phrased that as a simulation within the game. Um, but it is just kind of an additional game mode. You can, you can access if you have star citizen. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's Star Marine is really basic right now. They've got essentially two two maps, two game modes, and like three weapons and three suits, maybe two suits. Um, but they're working on the third. So that's uh, you know, it's they're really just trying to get the mechanics down right now. Um, and it is the same mechanics that you actually get in the persistent world if you uh, jump out of your ship and shoot someone in the face. Or as I like to do, sneak up, sneak up on board other people's ships and wait till they get out of their chair and then shoot them in the face. That's fun, too. All right. So, yeah, and, and this is obviously ongoing updates for Star Citizen, and I'm assuming still no actual release date on the horizon? Um, no. I mean, it, again, though, is there's a ton of stuff that you can play right now. So right. it's it's just it's a definition of terms. They have you know, Elite Dangerous said they were released like what a year and a half or two years ago. Um, but there are features they had and features they didn't, and they prioritized a certain list of features as release, and uh Star Citizen took a different path with that. Um but I mean it is it is a playable game with multiple game modes that, that do work. Um and, and what they push to live is pretty stable right now all right well, good to know all right so moving along from that uh another space game that that is out there is e valkyrie and so they actually came out with a new trailer this week uh for their free updates the fourth update that they're offering and it's the uh, wormholes update and so basically what this is going to be is uh as you may know in 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 EVE Online, wormholes are a magical place. Um, it's where you can find bait sometimes, um, where the rules of the normal game don't really always apply. You get, you get some weird effects, some strange things will, will happen. You might you know, fly faster or have less HP, depending on what wormhole you're in and what kind of effect it has. So they're kind of translating that idea over to Valkyrie, where there is a wormhole of the week, so to speak. And players can go in, and they're kind of given... Uh, preset fits i don't think they can make their own fits it's kind of a pre-can thing but everyone gets the same fit and it may be a variation on the game mode there might be different effects um so your ships might fly faster do more damage or stuff like that they, they didn't really specify exact details i think they kind of want people to figure out the, the different options and variations that are available but uh 
they only last a couple days. So basically, you're going to log in, you've got the option to queue up in a wormhole battle, and that battle will only, that type of battle with the particular variables it has is going to be around for a couple days, and after that, it's gone. So there's, you know, you can get special rewards by doing this and give it a shot. Um, kind of mixes up the gameplay, forces you to get out of your normal, uh, your normal fits, and kind of pushes you into trying new things or different things. Um, the, the, the fits are maxed out, though, so it's kind of nice if you aren't quite leveled up all the way and you want to try out your a certain ship that's fully maxed out with a full kit, uh, the wormhole will give you that option. So it's kind of its own separate thing, but uh, it does give people some some different things to look at, you know, once or twice a week. So that's kind of cool. Uh, and that's actually, again, it's a free update for EVE Valkyrie. Um, this is on all platforms, and it's coming out February 15th. So in the next couple of days, you should get your hands on it, which will be pretty cool if you are a Valkyrie player. And this really seems like, to me, the way I read it, um, it really seems like what Overwatch does with, uh, or was doing, um, and uh, what Here's the Storm now does, and, and a few other games where they just have like a, a weekly, you know, custom-ish game mode that, you know, they just screw with the rules a bit to make something that may or may not be balanced, but, you know, it's just something different for the week. Yeah, and I think that's actually good, because, you know, balance is obviously important in, in PvP game modes, and... But I'll have to say, like, I'll use Destiny as an example. Um, Destiny's PvP, I had mixed feelings about, but one game mode that they would bring in every once in a while, they would do kind of, again, uh, you know, every month or so, they would they would cycle in some some different variations. But there was the uh, in the name the name escapes me. But basically, mayhem. it was mayhem. Sorry, my, my brother's correcting me from across the room. So it was the mayhem game mode. And basically, like your supercharge would charge much faster. Your abilities cooled down super fast. It was just absolute chaos. I actually enjoyed that a lot more than the base PvP, and it was broken as hell but yep, it yeah. was it was temporary but it was kind of fun and then it was broken because i could choose to go into it and experience a broken game mode in, in absolute chaos and, and i think it's good when games kind of offer up um the ability to go in and try something that's not really proper design but it is interesting and different um and, and can be a lot of fun so I, I'll, I'll give them props for kind of going that direction i, I think that's like Zell, like you said, Zell, uh, a lot of games are starting to kind of go that that way with offering some some weird, you know, wacky rules that pop up every once in a while. And I think that can be fun and is is a good way to kind of break up the monotony of just grinding out the same sort of game modes, you know, week after week. So that's that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, it's a lot like uh, you know we're used to having kind of you know events, and obviously Overwatch and the Blizzard games do like specific holiday tied events. But really, it's just moving to this notion of saying there always should be some event going so that players always have a reason to log in like every single week because something will be different. Yeah, and I think that's that's definitely a good direction to take it. Uh, in other CCP-related news, uh, so Gunjack 2, End of Shift, and that is the sequel. We'll call it a sequel, even though there's no story. But it is the, the other version of Gunjack that came out for the Google Daydream VR headset. Uh, that's getting a free update as well. There's there's not really a lot of really concrete details on it. There's a trailer you can see, and they kind of show off some of the the various things you can do. It looks like there's weekly challenges where you can kind of do a... You can compete for score, and you can kind of, you know, um, play against other players. It's not direct PvP, but it's more of a, you know, who can get the highest score under these conditions, that sort of thing. Um, you can kind of customize your, your Gunjack's turret and, and kind of play around with, you know, different weapons, power-ups, and stuff like that. So 
again, just kind of adding some some more New Eden style stuff to it, where you can you know fit things and, and try different combinations to get different effects. So that's also pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's, that's for Gunjack Two. Don't think there's a release date on that, but it is a free update. And um, again, this is just the Google Daydream version of the game. It's not available for the other versions of Gunjack One. So just just for Gunjack Two. I'm still really hoping that the exclusivity window on this comes up, and then they you know, port it to everywhere else. Cause that was really one of the cool things about Gunjack is that there's literally like, you can play it on any VR headset out there, whether it's for a PC or a, you know, an Android phone. And, uh, I'm really, I, I don't see any reason why this shouldn't go the same way. I just don't know how long we're going to have to wait. Well, yeah. I mean, Google obviously had to pay for, for being able to release a title that's exclusive for their headset. I mean, this, this sort of thing is you expected this sort of shit and you know, CCP was going to be all over that because they want to be the, the guys doing VR. So, you know, Gunjack was a fun game. I've only played the, the first one, obviously I haven't played the, the Gunjack two, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a cute little arcade game. It's, it's nothing groundbreaking, but it is a good proof of concept and they're expanding on it and adding some new features. And I think it'll, it'll flesh out nicely. So yeah, hopefully that exclusivity contract will be up in the near future and we can see it on the other headsets. Cause it would be kind of fun to try out. Um, at least in my brother's Samsung gear, if it does ever come to that. Uh, all right, moving along. So Overwatch also has some new updates, and, and the, the big update is probably the, the custom server option that they're bringing. They actually released a pretty pretty in-depth dev blog about that, or dev video, actually. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about that, Zell? Yeah, so um, he's actually been doing... Uh, this is this guy who, uh, who did this video has been doing uh, these for almost every major patch. Um, where he kind of explains where they were thinking for for things and answering some questions and um, he you know he answered previously about the the capture the flag mode and the challenges with that that uh, we talked about previously um, and so there's there's always been the ability to you know spin up a custom game of Overwatch and you could tweak a lot of the same sets of rules that they used for the weekly brawls when they were doing those and so you could you know set you know, recharge rates on ultimates and you could set health you know, percentages of health and percentages of damage and limit the selection of heroes and stuff like that is, is um, pick specific maps. Um, and so all that's already been there. But the thing was, was of course, is that you had to have, uh, you know, created a, a group via chat or your friends um, in order to play on it. And so really the, the, the big, the first big part of this is that you're actually gonna be able to search for custom games uh, in your region, um, so you can you can see what other people are doing. And then the other thing that they did is they massively expanded the number of things that you can customize. And uh, they're hoping to to literally let players design their own game modes with this. Um, one of the examples that they gave was that uh, they're going to let you select uh, some of those rules independently by team. So you could say have. Um, the example they give in this is blog is having like a roadhog with, you know, massively increased health on one side of the team and then on, on one team and then the other side being normal strength, but like a full team. So you could have kind of a, um, what, what, what was that game? Like evolve? Is that oh, yeah. 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 yeah the asymmetrical vice. Yeah. Four yeah. One. So, so you could set that sort of thing up now in overwatch with the custom server browser. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously the the capture the flag. We talked about a lot of the reasons that they 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 went over different ways to to set up their rules for capture the flag, and obviously players had different opinions than the developers on which options they should have chosen. And so 
the Overwatch developers not only allow you to now spin up uh, custom uh, game modes using the capture the flag uh, features, but uh, all the options that they were playing with configuring internally are available in the custom server browser in terms of how long it takes to pick up the flag, whether abilities cancel out uh, you carrying the flag, um, all sorts of rules like that, whether or not you you have to have your flag to capture their flag. Um, just all these settings that they played with, they made them available here. And so their notion is, is that they can actually see you know, statistically, what are players choosing to play with in the custom server browser? What rules are they are, are is seems to be preferred, um, and that can maybe guide their direction on future game modes themselves. You know, even even for the main game modes, if everybody decides suddenly that you know a custom version that has this different rule is massively popular, they're going to want to look at that as a potential you know potential change. That's actually, I think that's actually pretty smart. There's, I, I'm trying to think if there's any other, uh, any other games, at least that I've ever personally played, that took an approach like that. I, I mean, obviously, every game, particularly one that has a that, that's designed to be funneled into the online world, uh, they they collect all sorts of metrics on it, like any just a wild number of of uh, different data points that you could possibly imagine on it. Usually. Um, but the the way that the, if that's really how they're setting it up with that specific intention uh, to sort of gauge how players play and the different ways that they can play, uh, I think that's actually pretty smart. And it's sort of a uh, it's, it's certainly I've not heard of a game company intentionally doing that uh, to to try to harvest actual design ideas or or perhaps uh, shape future iterations of the game or or special offerings they may have. And uh, yeah, and they say, I mean, obviously you are limited to the, the, the settings that they, you know, spin out of their head as, as to include in this, but they, uh, they definitely stated that they want to add more over time. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, we've, we've had other games, you know, way back in the day that, that you could do a lot of custom game modes. I remember, you know, the old uh, Quake generation of games where you could not only bring in your own custom maps and you could, but you could also you know, literally build custom game modes and list them publicly for people to play. Um, I mean, there was a, there was a, a, a game mode, there was a custom game mode that uh, someone had made for uh, Star Trek Elite Force, which was a, a Quake, uh, essentially a, a officially, officially licensed Quake mod. Um, and uh, the, the, uh, the third party game mode was actually one of the more fun ones out there. And so we really, I think, lost a lot of that customization when uh, when they moved to these, you know, mass market games that that prioritize high quality, super high quality maps over and experience over that, you know, customizable options we used to have before. And so I think it's really cool to see them really just open up their whole toy box here and let people play with it. Well, I think they're, I mean, if you look at it, what they're really doing is they're giving you, as you said, like a set break of parameters that you can mess around with because, and I think you're spot on, by the way, Zell, like that, that went away when there was a clear transition away from things like Quake, uh, when that was sort of one of the preeminent FPS games you could run into out there to anything else that had uh, a certain level of quality in it, because there was really only so much that you could do and maintain a certain look and uh and style of the game uh that that and, and 
and that was one i think a design choice because they wanted to have a to be known for a certain level of quality and two the, the you know basic reality is, is they want to market that stuff they want to sell additional games in that in that franchise or that series so and I, dlc much came up at the same yeah, time absolutely. why let people load custom maps if you can sell people additional maps yeah it, i mean and i i think that's uh, you know that's that's well spotted there as well so on on its whole i'm i'm, I'm an overwatch fan I, I enjoy it they've uh they definitely have they're incrementally adding things or trying things out in the game that are very much you know it's very blizzard like in its developmental tree but it's working pretty well. I mean, I was playing it today earlier. Game still looks, I mean, it's, you know, very crisp. It's not going to be dated in terms of the the way or the style that they chose. It will it will last visually for a very long time. Uh, but you can just tell in the framework of the game. There's a lot of different choices on how you can play, different ways to play, uh, different different things you can kind of go for. And, and then you know, and and again, very Blizzard like. They have routine uh, cycles of uh, different cosmetics and things like that, that, that always come in and keeps the game kind of interesting, relatively fresh. It, it's sort of cool. So again, they're, I think they're doing pretty well with it, but I am interested to see how this, um, how this sort of the customizable game approach, if, if that really unfolds the way that you're describing, how that actually plays out maybe, you know, six, nine months from now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, well, I'll, I'll link in the show notes, the, uh, the, uh, developer, uh, blog here and and uh for people who actually play overwatch i highly recommend uh watching them because they just they they go into detail so much on on the amount of work that they do to to decide you know the game rules that they do um and and just tidbits of what they tried that that didn't work very well and and why um but uh, the the other thing that was in the Overwatch news uh, this last week that I found really interesting, uh, coming from a Dust Five One Four standpoint, is uh, you know as I, I'm a, I'm a keyboard and mouse player. I'm part of the PC Master Race, and when I played uh, Dust Five One Four, um, I played it with a keyboard and mouse because it was officially supported with that. You could hook it up on a desk, um, and uh, that was one of the few games that we had on consoles that did officially support playing with keyboard and mouse. And there was always a, a ongoing debate about um, the, uh, the balance between keyboard and mouse players and controller players. And uh, one of the things that was interesting was that in the dust days, there were, uh, you know, some advantages they gave controller players, like the ability to use uh, aim assist features and stuff like that. Um, that actually led people to try using a key a controller emulator uh, to make their keyboard and mouse act like the controller so they could get those benefits while still having the aim of a mouse and keyboard. I actually tried one. I couldn't get it to work very well. Um, but, uh, you know, it was really interesting to see that Overwatch is actually now having this fight um, in the console world because a lot of players are apparently uh, using these uh, input adapters uh, to to uh, use keyboard and mouse to play Overwatch on their consoles to get an advantage in things like sniping, which, you know, is, is easier to do with a mouse. One interesting part of that article and the counter-argument was that um, a lot of people who are disabled but actually like to play games use devices that will emulate a controller because they may otherwise be unable to use a controller for whatever reason, uh, and that this kind of blanket ban of, you know, we're not going to let you use anything except you know, the, the the stock controller is actually pretty detrimental to those players who normally couldn't. They, they may be playing, 
you know, because they they only have the console and that special device may be the only thing that works for them. So that that is a pretty valid counter argument, I think. There's actually a couple of websites out there that are specialized specifically for disabled gamers or, or or gamers that struggle with that sort of thing, and they're they're actually pretty nervous about this because you know they they love playing Overwatch, but this this ban is basically preventing them from playing the game because of um, disabling those those alternate inputs. Yeah, I, d- I did read about that, and I'm not sure what I would uh, would really say on that, because it is it is really hard to, to figure out where you draw that line between, you know, input for accessibility and input, input for advantage. Um, and obviously, at the scale Overwatch operates, they can't they can't afford to look at things on a case by case basis. They have to, you know, come up with a bulk algorithm that makes a decision and and implements it. Um, I I mean, I feel like they'd have a lot less issues with you know alternate controls if they had a PC. Um, but I mean, the argument the argument could be made that really the whole point of consoles is to put everyone on an even level ground, you know, where you're, you all have the same hardware and the same controls. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure how well accessibility devices fit into that from a, when you, when you get to this balance argument. Well, I mean, I I just did a quick kind of Google foo search and, uh, the number of keyboard mouse controllers that are really designed to work for console games is much larger than I would have thought. Like it's, it's been a while since I've actually, uh, you looked that up. That's a, that's a, I'm, I'm not going to say it's, you know, like a, a niche or a narrow focus market, but like, I, I remember looking at experimenting with like the old split fish controllers and you'd occasionally see those. It was, it's basically uh, kind of the numchuck style that you use in your, in kind of your weed cell. So like the left side is literally like almost like the left side of the PS4, uh, you know, the, the regular PS4 controller and the, the right side was, uh, was basically a mouse with the same button and like R3 configuration that you'd have on the right side of the PS4 controller. Um, and, and it was kind of designed to play like on your lap, like on a little desk, you know, like a, a pad or whatever. Uh, and that was something I was kind of interested in because exactly what you said, because you could, you could work different styles of, of games and find control stuff uh, with, with a mouse type setup like that. But there's like a number of console specific, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, keyboard mouse setups that, that I'm just literally just sitting here doing a quick cruise through on. So there's clearly a market for it. Uh, and, and it's one of those questions where, the closer consoles get to to PCs in terms of performance and the type of games that, that you'd, you'd play. Now, you would always get better performance out of a PC, but in terms of, as you said, sort of, uh, there's a there's a break point in terms of, uh, you know, the highest edge, highest cutting edge gaming PCs will always operate at a higher level than consoles. But the reality is that the games on consoles will always be able to reach uh, just a huge band of people. Uh, so there's... It's kind of an interesting paradigm, though, and I, I'm I'm kind of surprised that if Overwatch is here is is experiencing that. I guess that's because the esports type type stuff they're trying to push on on it. Maybe they're, they're because of the competitive nature to it. Because um, I haven't heard that kind of outcry, or at least that kind of like sort of interweb rumbling on any other game, like not Call of Duty or anything like. Or maybe I'm just not not paying attention to it. Yeah, I mean, I I. I think the competitive angle to it is is uh, definitely a big part of it, and 
um, you know, it's it's Overwatch news. It's like Pokemon Go news. You're going to hear more about it just because everybody talks about it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a difficult issue. I mean, you could also argue that they could embrace dual control schemes entirely like Dust did and have, you know, mouse and keyboard versus controller, and they're both equally supported. And if you feel you are uh, at a disadvantage by using a controller, you have the option to then use a mouse and keyboard. Um, which is, you know, it's certainly an option. And some people prefer, you know, uh, control over mouse and keyboard. Like I know my my brother, for example, played Titanfall um, 1 and 2 and actually much prefers it with the controller, even though he has one of them on PC, just because of the nature of the game. It, it just works better for him, um, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of PC people will be screaming that that's not true. But, you know, it's whatever works best for that person. I think that, in my own personal opinion, it's better to be inclusive of all control schemes and let the player make the choice themselves. Uh, I guess the only disadvantage is that you'd have to buy your own mouse and keyboard if you have a PS4 or Xbox or whatever you might be playing on. But, you know, come on, you can get a cheap one for, for pretty easily. I, it's, I don't think it's necessarily about the the fact that, you know, you could get a keyboard and mouse for 10 bucks. It's a lot of people are playing consoles in a way that it's not conducive to a, a keyboard and mouse because you have it hooked up to the big screen TV. You're playing from the couch. Um and I, I think there's a huge, you know, there is that huge balance gap. And if you're sitting on, you know, if you're playing Overwatch on a PC and you decide, hey, I'm going to play this with a controller, you're gimping yourself. You know, the baseline has been set at keyboard and mouse. And if you want to use some other device, you're probably not going to be getting an advantage out of it. You're going to be getting, I mean, it might be an advantage to you based on your ability to play it. But there will be no technical advantage because that's where the the game is tuned on keyboard and mouse, um, which is you know has a has a higher degree of precision um, than uh, to try and like just shove keyboard and mouse on console players because I don't think that worked very well for Dust. I think a lot of people were very bitter about it. Um, I, I think uh, you know it was it was a it was one of those things that Eve players were told they'd get and insisted upon and held them to, um, and made a lot of console only players very upset. Well, so here, as, as I'm sitting here listening to this, what would bring back a lot of memories is discussion. So I went to the actual playstation.com website and you look up in peripherals, it has the TAC pro for PlayStation four. It is a keyboard mouse, is a mechanical keyboard mouse setup. Uh, it's not a keyboard. It's literally just the, like the WASD controls and, and like a little bank controls on the left on the left side. And it's got like a, uh, looks literally just like the PS4, uh, like thumbsticks that are uh, on the left grip right below the WASD keys. So it, it's, uh, I mean, PlayStation obviously recognizes it's, it's a thing. I mean, it's literally, uh, you know, a... Uh, sponsored sponsored uh you know peripheral for them on their own website so i I, you know like i said as games go and go it will just give you another option to put to play with uh and some games really i mean they're sort of they sort of do really work better this way uh now i will tell you there's also some shooters and and also kind of depending on your play style that you know controllers you know game pads work actually probably better it just kind of depends on what you want to do with them Uh, so i think I think PS4, at least Sony, has got it figured out that they know they can offer these things. Now, what I don't know is how often... Uh, I, I truly don't know how difficult it is to to really zero a game in for you know, like a true... Like something you intend to have as a competitive game. You know, controller versus 
uh, keyboard mouse setups. Like FPS is really the only time that I hear that really being a thing, you know, honestly, uh, in terms of like a, a true quality level uh, level exchange between the type of controllers. Because, you know, like like you pointed out, Zell, there's a level of precision that you can bring that you can't do in a do with a gamepad. So I don't know. It, I think it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of work with it. But now I'm kind of looking at this. I'm, I'm, you know, I might end up getting one of these little keyboard mouse setups uh, just to try it out with different games, kind of see how it works out on, on uh, some different things. That tech pro thing looks kind of neat. I, I want to, I'm kind of curious, like, hey, can I plug this into my PC? Yeah, well, you can. It looks, it says it's de, it's designed for plug and play on PS4, PS3, and Windows PC, and it's designed specifically for FPS play. It looks neat. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it is literally, it has nothing, that's what I said, it has nothing to do with the keyboard. It's literally a, a FPS game control setup is what it really is yeah, that's 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 pretty badass um I, i've never seen it before but that that is pretty slick it looks like it's available on amazon for 150 bucks or let me see in gamestop here and we'll link yeah, this in price. the show notes yeah yeah absolutely it's it's, it's 150 bucks both gamestop and amazon it's that's that's pretty slick but uh yeah i mean it's it's a it's an interesting topic it, it's one that I mean, I've heard the the angle before, you know, the advantage for one or the other. But then recently, I've I've actually spoken with someone um, in the Dust Veteran Discord who said that he wouldn't be able to play Nova if it didn't support a controller, just because he has a um, uh, a disability with his hands that doesn't really allow him to operate a keyboard very well, but a controller works works much better. So for him, that's important. And uh, obviously, on the flip side, for for players on, on the console, a keyboard may only work for them for, for their particular situation. So, I mean, it's it's a difficult thing to, to, to balance because you want to obviously be as inclusive as possible, but you also don't want to potentially ruin the, the game experience for, for people who, who are not affected by that. So, you know, let us know in the, in the comments. I'm actually kind of curious on people's thoughts on on this and, and kind of what you feel is appropriate. You know, is, is this mass ban uh, a, a good thing or do you think it's it's cutting players out unnecessarily or, or what are your thoughts so let us know in the comments we'd appreciate your feedback uh moving along uh, a couple game reviews that i'm gonna do uh so as promised i did try star wall which is one of the free games on psn this month and it is indeed a game about narwhals in space uh it's it's um it's very weird. Basically, the idea is that you are uh, up to four players, but there is an AI option, so you can play, you know, by yourself with with up to three other AI. And you are a narwhal that is flying through space, trying to impale other narwhals uh, through the heart with your 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 tooth. Um, so it's about as stupid as, as you thought it would be. Um, it's kind of got this retro neon. Uh, style to it you can customize your narwhal with various hats and and face things and, and other colors and stuff like that um and a bunch of game modes that are all more or less the same thing there's like some capture the flag sort of things where you have to kind of control zones by poking the center of the zone with your tooth while trying to kill each other or you know just free for all that sort of thing um i played for probably about half an hour i didn't really get too much into it just try all the game modes and the different maps and stuff uh, I would not pay money for this game, though. I mean, it's it's very much kind of a sit down. It might be kind of fun for for a few minutes while you're having some drinks or, or whatever with some friends. I couldn't find an online multiplayer options. It's kind of a couch couch thing only. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it makes for a good free game to kind of get a giggle. Uh, if you see it like on on Steam during a Steam sale for a couple bucks, I'd I, you know consider picking it up if you want to get something that's kind of stupid and fun to play. Uh, but yeah, it's it, I would not say it's worth the 
eleven twelve dollar price tag that it is on Steam. It's it's very simplistic. It's you know it's a stupid game, but you know it's free on PSN. So if you want to go over and pick it up and and kind of mess around with it for you know an hour or so, it might be worth your time. Uh, so that, that's that's just kind of follow up on what we talked about last week with with Starwall. Uh, the, the more important one that I did cover is I picked up the open beta uh, for Honor on PC, and that's kind of the melee combat one we talked about a couple weeks ago, where it's the Vikings versus the Knights versus the Samurai, kind of this Ultimate Warrior um, video game, and, and it was it was interesting. Um, First and foremost, I'll say it is, uh, at least the game modes I was playing, was effectively a MOBA. I know there are other game modes, but I did not get to those in the beta. I'm not sure if they were available or not. But basically it was, uh, you've got like three capture points, and you're on a team of four fighting another team of four, and you you have different classes and abilities, and you try to capture the points, and holding points gets you, you know, kind of fills up your meter, and, and that's how you win. And there are waves of um, soldier grunts that kind of go through, and they're basically the cannon fodder, typical MOBA stuff. You, you can kill them to get experience uh, as you try to help push your wave across the map and, you know, gain more points and that sort of thing. Uh, so that was that was pretty straightforward. The combat is... Interesting. Um, when you're killing grunts, you're pretty much just swinging through, and you know it's kind of a power trip. You're just you know one man army army through these soldiers, and, and that's you know pretty simplistic. But when you're actually fighting another player, it basically works as a lock-on system. You lock onto the player, and depending on where you move your mouse or I imagine your control stick, you can either kind of block high, block left, or block right. And it kind of turns into this um, almost like rock, paper, scissors thing where you can see where the enemy is currently aiming. They can either be aiming you know, high, uh, left, or right. And you try to you know meet when they swing. You, you tilt your control stick or move your mouse in that direction to block. Um, and so it kind of turns into this, like, you're kind of faking them out, like, okay, I might have, like, a high stance, but I might switch to left real quick and do a quick slash to get in under their defense because they're trying to block high. And so it's kind of this, you know, back and forth um, where you're attacking and defending each other, and uh, you know, there's some other mechanics where you can kind of kick to break their defense, and that consumes stamina. If you run out of stamina, you can't really attack that quickly. Um, attack speed and attack damage vary depending on class, so for example, like the starting one is really good at like wave clearing. He's got this big sweeping attack. I, I was playing as mostly the, the knights, um, but he kind of struggled in in the, the the player versus player kind of duels because he was a little bit slower. Whereas the lighter, faster uh, characters are really quick. They strike quickly, so it's harder to anticipate where they're going to hit. Um, they're good at kind of a one on one, but not so great at clearing waves. So you've kind of got that that checks and balance there, and and you kind of want to play your class based off of what you're going to be doing within the fight. Um, the game looks really good. It's it's very visually appealing. Um, my computer is probably mid to high grade. Um, it ran very smoothly. I didn't have any slowdown issues. Um, I didn't mess with the settings too much, but the default worked and looked very well. So, you know, it's good stuff there. Uh, I will say for the UI interface, it was... It felt apparent that they had designed it for a console and then kind of ported the UI over to PC. It was a little clunky. I felt like a lot of things wanted me to use a D-pad. Um, and there were hotkeys you could press, but they felt kind of strange. Uh, I just ended up clicking on the button more than I used the hotkeys, uh, so that that was a little a little jarring. Uh, the default controls, um, the beta's closed now, so you can't try it. But the, it was it was a little strange. They had the lock on was uh, left control, um, 
which was very awkward for me. I wasn't able to, to press that very well, so I remapped that to tab, which made a lot more sense. Uh, tab was for the scoreboard. It was kind of weird. So um, if you do pick up the game, I would definitely play around with the settings for, for key bindings. It's, it's very strange, uh, at least on PC. I'm not sure what the console looks like. So uh, it might work better on, on controller, I think, just the way they kind of had things laid out. Um, it was a little awkward on PC, so keep that in mind. Uh, in terms of connectivity, um, I, I tried uh, about five matches. Three of them were disconnected uh, because it's all peer-to-peer. We lost the host, and then it kind of cascaded into this massive crash, and then it all fell apart. So I only really got to play two full matches all the way through. Um, the connectivity issues were, were pretty jarring, um, as, as we kind of expected with peer-to-peer. Uh, that's kind of a deal-breaker for me because I, I dealt with that shit in, in Evolve, which... It really kind of ruined the game for me because I couldn't finish what I was doing half the time. So um, that was kind of problematic. And, and it's good that I mentioned Evolve, actually, because overall the game felt... I got the same feeling that I did from Evolve. I was like, well, this is this is fun. You know, it's got some good game modes and you could unlock characters and, and that sort of thing. But I kept feeling like it should have been a free-to-play game. Um like the $60 price tag, it feels a little jarring for the amount of content that I felt was available. Um, I wasn't really a fan of kind of the way it felt. It just it wasn't quite enough, and I feel like it would have been better to kind of present it as a free-to-play game where you could buy characters or do a slow unlock. I think that, that probably would have been a little more palatable, and I'd probably be much more likely to actually play the game and spend money on it uh, rather than having to deal with the, the upfront cost of, of 60 bucks and then having to, you know potentially deal with with microtransactions dlc that sort of thing uh just the lack of lack of content i felt it was that the format wasn't quite there for like an actual paid game um one other thing that was kind of interesting and and i didn't get to experience because i don't think it was available for the beta but they kind of explain how it works is the faction warfare uh so as as the game kind of implies there are three factions you got the knights the samurai and the uh the vikings uh, you pick a faction, but you can play whatever class or race you want on that faction. So the faction doesn't really matter because you might have a samurai, a knight, and a viking on the same team, you know, in a match. So that 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 was a little immersion breaking. But the, the way the faction warfare worked was a little interesting. You've got kind of this uh, map divided up into three sections, uh, you know, one for each. And there are regions on there, and each region represents a different map. And so when you win a battle you get resources for the war effort and you can choose to allocate those resources wherever you want in the map. And so there is a season where the maps reset season starts. And as people start to allocate resources, those, um, those, those, those zones, those maps will become captured. And so, um, when you're on that map, it will visually change based off of who is currently holding that that section. So you don't necessarily, from my understanding, have to play on that map to capture that point, but the players as a mass group can choose where to allocate, allocate resources to kind of push the map in a certain direction and, and kind of reinforce areas that may be weak um, or, or push the attack on other on other areas to kind of take more territory. And, and I imagine there's probably bonuses associated with you know playing on a map your team controls, so you're you know you're encouraged to actually capture territory and, and win and get better rewards and that sort of thing. And then at the end of the season, um, the map resets, the whole thing goes back to zero, and, and you start again. So it's it's not this like ongoing war, you know, 
forever. It sounds like it's it's probably broken up into manageable chunks, maybe a couple weeks. I'm not sure of the details on that. Like again, I couldn't really try it out, but um, that that part was kind of interesting. That was kind of an interesting thing to explore, um, maybe at a later date. But uh, that idea was neat. But yeah, the the game was was fun. Um, a little light on content. Uh, I don't really like the the opening price tag. Um, connectivity issues are a big problem. Um, like I said, it's kind of a deal breaker for me. I I may have had just a bad experience personally, but in peer-to-peer games, you, you tend to see that issue a lot. So I think this is probably the norm. Uh, but yeah, so uh, For Honor, um, that's coming out actually uh, February 14th, so in two days. So, you know, I could say, well, it's a beta, but the beta is like, you know, two days before release. They're not going to fix much between now and then. So I, I kind of expect that the finished product will feel a lot like the beta did. Um, so yeah, that's that's my review on it. Um, I'll probably give it a pass personally. Um, if the price goes down, it might be worth your time. But again, it felt like a free-to-play game that was paid, which is kind of frustrating. So that's what I've got for Honor. Yeah, I'm glad you kind of caveated the uh, the beta piece because I, I was foolishly going to ask you that if because uh, what you what you're describing sounds like oh that sounds like some shit they can fix in beta, but uh, yeah, yeah, not yeah. so much. <laughs> yeah, and it, like I said, it felt like Evolve. Like Evolve was a fun game that I wish I didn't pay sixty bucks for because I would have probably bought stuff in the game if I hadn't paid for the initial game, but. Too little content, and then they asked on top of it, hey, buy my microtransactions. I was like, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that's that's kind of frustrating. Um, but, yeah, so I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on that one. But, uh, you know, it, you, you can decide for yourself. It, it is interesting. Like I said, it's, it's kind of an interesting take on, on the MOBA genre. Um, the combat was was different. You know, it was, it was pretty cool. But, uh, again, so- you know, it's hard to justify the price. No, I didn't. No, you kind of talked a little bit about the the combat in terms of um, kind of the rock paper scissors feel to it. Now, what you're what I was hearing in my head while you were describing this was, I played some of the UFC games um, on console, and I, I remember when that when those particularly the first few that came out, they're, they're actually quite good in terms of. Um, now, whether you like UFC or not, it's irrelevant, but like the the style of controls that they had to in place in that game because of how do you do ground fighting in a in a console game? It's it's extremely difficult. It's it's you know striker based combat, you know hand to hand combat like seen like Tekken or like uh, uh, Mortal Kombat stuff like that. That's that's much easier to deal with in terms of a control scheme than like grappling or, or something more nuanced than that. So I was really interested to, to hear like how fluid or how smooth it was. Cause that's what, what I was concerned on is like, you kind of do the standard, I'm going to lock onto you. And then we're literally going to trade like X's and zeros uh, in like either, you know, block or attack until somebody lands something. And it's, it's, it sounds like what you're describing is a little bit, a little bit more nuanced than that. But uh, I was kind of curious how smooth it felt though. Is it something that you, you're like, Hey, I, you, in, you know, an hour of gameplay, you've kind of got about as good as you're going to get at this thing, or you, you can actually develop uh, like some skill sets with it. And actually, you know, player skill comes into, into uh, some bearing when you do a uh, player versus player. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that in that regard, um, the way the game felt was that they did a good job at, at showing weight. I feel like you're not, it's, unresponsive in the sense that you're a dude sprinting in a suit of armor and if you need to stop moving it's going to take you a while to stop moving um 
so in terms of movement, it, it actually felt pretty good. It was it was um, it was responsive in a way that felt realistic. Um, in terms of the actual combat, it 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 kind of came down to kind of a more of a mind game than it was. Uh, you know, reflex based. Well, that's not that's not true. It was it, reflex is important, but it's like I said, you're trying to fake out the guy, and you really have to be cognitive of what class you're fighting because if it's a really fast dude, you need to put him down fast because you're not going to defend against him uh, very easily. So the class matters. Um, it, I didn't find myself into really big long strings of blocking. Um, it was more of you're you're trying to really be aggressive, but the one-on-one -on -one confrontation is just kind of part of it because the battle's still going on around you. You're probably surrounded by grunts, and the grunts will still engage both you and the enemy while you're fighting, and you can have other players come up and engage you while you're locked on to somebody. So it was more about making sure you would engage in an area and at an angle and at a time that made sense um, rather than kind of this lock on back and forth, you know, until one of us whittles the other one down and run out of HP. It was more of a, I'm going to run in, get a few hits, might block some, and then I might disengage and, and kind of go recover health or, or get a better angle, that sort of thing. Um, so I don't think it's quite as you described with the UFC thing. I, th I think it felt a little more macro in the sense of you had to be tactical in, in where you were and in how you engaged. But then there was also the element of, of the reflex and kind of faking the opponent out and, and getting them to think you're going to go one one direction, you attack the other. And, and there's different kinds of attacks. There's heavy and light attacks, there's kicks, there's throws, that sort of thing. Um, so it, it felt it felt good. You know, I, I enjoyed the combat. I didn't feel like I was completely outmatched first time I was in there. Um, but there was a level of skill involved in, in trying to kind of get your head around what's going on in the situation and how to use it to your advantage um, and not so much you have to be just a total badass, the one-on-one -on -one stuff. I think that if you're smart, you can actually be very successful, even if the other guy might be um, more skilled at the one-on-one -on -one combat than you are. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. But yeah. Any other questions, guys, on For Honor? Okay. I think we'll, we'll probably close that one up, and we're kind of going to move into our, our final topic. And, and this topic actually comes from Thaddeus, who is, is joining us, and it's regards to, uh, in, in various games and in, in different formats, um, tiers and progression and power tiers and in how your character levels up and the kind of gear they have and how that gear compares to other gear in the game. Uh, and so I'm going to kind of hand, hand this to Thaddeus and let him kind of explain his thoughts on the, the topic and then we'll kind of do a roundtable and, and talk about what our, our different thoughts on it. So Thaddeus, I'm going to kind of hand the mic over to you here. Okay, so I'm going to be talking a lot in the lens of Dust since that's a game that at least most of us are somewhat familiar with. Um, and in Dust, we had, at the beginning, very clear power tiers. You had your standard, your advanced, and prototype, where these stats and slots available to the suits advanced uh, as you tiered up. Additionally, the stats provided by the items you could equip to the suits advanced as you tiered up to a, in some cases, very startling degree. Now, in general, progression, at least in my opinion, provides an incentive for a player to continue and so tiers can actually be a good thing, but to what degree should the tiers provide power to the players? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question, because, I mean, it kind of comes down to, to personal opinion, and, and we'll, we'll keep it in the scope of dust for, for this for the moment right now. Um, I personally felt that, that power, power tiering got out of control, um, particularly around the, the middle of, of the game, and it actually kind of evened out a little bit when they, they leveled all the, the slot layouts between suits. 
Um, and in for Dust, it's it's an interesting paradigm because in a lot of other games, you kind of have a a character progression, which is which is good. I think people crave that. That's something that that you know I I enjoy. I think a lot of people enjoy the idea that you're always improving your character and unlocking stuff and leveling up. That that feels good. That's a good um, feedback loop for the, the player that they're achieving something through their efforts. Um, but they want those efforts to mean something. And in a game like Dust, where you have effectively an infinite level cap there there is no level cap you, you really can't really feasibly max out a character um you have to quickly deal with the issue of you know the character wants to feel the player wants to feel more powerful progressively effectively forever so they want to feel stronger constantly indefinitely which which does raise some issues um now there is argument that there's an effective SP cap in Dust, and that you were effectively maxed out in any given moment with how much power you could actually have. But still, with so many options, like like you said, with the suits having um, you know a power creep, the skills having power creep, and even the modules having power creep, it can quickly get out of hand. And the issue I find with that is that you have uh, multiple avenues to, to level up. You know, you've got your your suit, your module, and your skill, and you want to feel like as you progress, that your steps in that progression are meaningful. You want to feel a noticeable increase when you level those things up. But when you add all of those those meaningful steps together, it can actually be quite a large jump. And you kind of run into the issue of, okay, well, we can make the final effect, you know, smaller, so it's less of a problem, but then the individual steps feel weaker and thus less rewarding to the player. And so you kind of run into this, you know, what's the proper line between the two? Of you know, do you want it to feel very rewarding as you level up, or do you want to keep the max you know power difference low, which can also feel not rewarding, but it also helps maintain balance between you know newer and older players. Well, I, I just I'm sitting here thinking through this. And I'm I'm not sure that there's really uh, at, at some point. Generally, most games are, are going to have what you're describing in terms of this sort of uh, upward curve in your general power. And there's there's two reasons for that. One, I think I think Daddy has kind of accurately described. There's a a need for progression. You know, there's a you know a, some sense of accomplishment that drives the player to continue to play uh, and potentially spend money. So there's there is that. Uh, I think the the other component of that is at some point you've got to give people more tools in their box to make the games more complex. Uh, just so that it that it retains interest to play, the game remains interesting. So it's it, it's sort of two parallel tracks. One, you got to make the game more interesting by giving them more things that they can do, uh, as well as you know sort of that uh, I guess accomplishment style progression progression that can drive people as well. Uh, so any game that you're going to play for any length of time, there's always something that you're unlocking always and rarely do you get into a game i'm struggling to think of games where the things you up that you unlock are side grades versus upgrades now, there will be some level of side grades but normally if you're unlocking something that means it's an upgrade um and so i think when i circle this back it maybe goes down to maybe the question that thad and pokey uh posed earlier is like there's a it seems like there's a really really fine line like a sweet spot depending on the game and the audience is shooting for uh like how much is is just right like what does the curve need to look like and where does it plateau at certain points or spike at certain points uh to kind of 
hit that sweet spot. Some games do it real well, uh, and some don't. Uh, so I'm not I'm not sure this is a. It's certainly not like a like a new concept in game design, but it's it's definitely one that I think requires uh, a pretty significant amount of discussion in in sort of their early game design uh, points. And then as a game matures, and really I think where this where Thad's point really gets highlighted is. What happens when a game is, let's say, moderately successful and it lasts a year, and you still have a lot of people playing it, and now they're wanting to look, they're they're willing to spend money on whatever the next thing in your game is or your next franchise is? Like, how do you cater to people that have paid money and are going to, more importantly, going to pay money, uh, and they've been with you long enough to to effectively max out or at least get to a point where th- there's not much else in the game they can do? Yeah, and I mean, you raise a good point. That, you know, you almost have to build in additional complexity so there's things that players can work towards that may not, you know, necessarily be uh, power creep, but they still feel like they're they're actually progressing. Uh, one interesting case today, I know you're you're obviously very familiar with is, is World of Tanks, and they way the way they do progression is is a little unique. I've, I've never seen something quite like it in other games. Maybe maybe other war war uh, war gaming games do it, but uh, the way that they do progression is is kind of kind of cool in that it maintains balance while still giving people things to work towards and that there are um obviously all of the uh different uh nationalities of tanks you can get so that that in of itself is a a sideways you know progression you can start german or american or british or whatever and work your way up through their their system and and it's tiered so there's tiers one through ten and tanks within each tier are more or less about the same and so as you you unlock tanks you you kind of use that tank, you can experience that tank, and then as you level up, you unlock power-ups for that tank to make it better. So that, that's that's a, that's a power progression there. Um, and then once you finish unlocking that tank, you then gain ability to unlock the next tier of tank along that line of, of kind of this, this tech tree that's going on. And so that goes up, and then you go through, you level up that tank, and you go to tier three, level up that tank, you go to tier four. Um, and there's some side grade options you can do in there, but more or less, you're, you're probably going to max out each tank and then move to the next one. But the way they maintain balance is that the game modes are almost in these brackets of tiers. So you may pick like a tier five tank, and it may throw you into a game that only includes tiers four through six. So within that particular instance of game, you are middle ground. You're You're... You know you're you're doing well. I mean you, you've got some some heavy hitters you got to watch out for, but you're you you know above kind of above the bottom the bottom fish so to speak. Um, and you've you've maintained balance, and, and this will work you know at tier two or it'll work at tier eight. You're still going to be you know within you know a certain amount of of power between the people you're fighting with, you know up or down either way. Uh, but it still gives you that over that sense of overarching progression where you're 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 grinding your way through. Um, you know, tiers one through through ten within that that particular nationality, within that particular class of tank, and it it does give you that sense of I can keep doing my thing and I'm going to level up, but I'm still going to have a fair fight more or less once I get in there. And I, I really like that. I, I think it's it's actually pretty ingenious. I think it works really well. Um, I've you know you'll you'll, you'll complain, ah, damn that that tier six one kicked my ass because I'm in a tier five and that sucks. But it wasn't like I'm in a tier five and fighting a tier 10 tank and getting blown away with one hit. So I still feel balanced, but I still have a sense of progression. I, I really, really do like that. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the advantage that, uh, the advantage that Wargaming has with world of tanks is that, uh, I, th- I think the latest count is 
well over 140 different type of tanks of some or combat vehicle of some kind you could play in the game like well over 140 at this point and they're continually adding more so what the tiering system with the tanks which is really what you're grinding for the the tiers that you play against in those sort of brackets and really the difference between a, like a five and a six or you know whatever it it depends on the tank like some are better than others i mean it just it that's how it works out or some are better at certain things than others but what is interesting and what the the sub the subline that goes under all that is they reward the players, the you know the long-serving players, because there's two forms of progression in that game. One is the actual tank tier, which is the primary mechanism that folks use to progress through the game. And really, it, all it really does is just give you full access to different styles of you know different styles of content. You know the, the fights get different literally as you get into different styles of tanks. But what the RPG, sort of the RPG light sort of thing, because you have to train your crews and you keep your crews. They're like these little named icon crews and stuff like that, that, you know, sort of like an XCOM style. They don't, they don't ever go away. You can dismiss them or whatever, but they're your crews and you actually have to manage their training. So I could take a, uh, like one of my best tank crews that has almost all of its skills maxed out, go down to and fight in like a tier two or three tank in a mash. And you will see a difference there. Uh, and that's where some of these things, that's where it really balances out. So if you're like, you know, as Pokey's example, you're playing in a, in a match, let's say uh, tier four through six tanks, it goes up to 10. That's the highest. So in tier four through six, but I have a really high, uh, high XP tank crew in there that that will even a lot of things out and give you some advance some real advantages so it really does cater to kind of both sides so uh, yeah i think they've figured out the power creep thing um now on the same hand i'm playing uh getting i've been playing quite a bit of neverwinter on ps4 it's kind of your dungeons and dragons mmo on on console which and it's actually quite well done uh but the power creep in that game is sort of your classic sort of, you know, wow, power, you know, World of Warcraft style power creep where it's all about getting, you know, you know, purple and, you know, purple stuff, you know, as they say. Uh, and the difference in what you can do and not do is incredibly dramatic, uh, particularly because there's PVP zones. And if you go into one of these PVP zones and, and you aren't, um, you know, if, if you are not in the same weight class, you will know immediately and it will be an incredibly un unfun match. <laughs> uh, but that's, and they don't really have constraints on how you get in or out of one of these because you can be a quote unquote level 70, whatever, but the gear score kind of in line with sort of, uh, uh, you know, like how the division works or, you know, things like that. Like your gear, your level score is one thing, but your gear score is really what matters and like you can be like level level 70 maxed out whatever but if your gear score if there's a discrepancy in your gear score of you know uh, what you would think is a relatively modest amount it could it could be in gameplay style incredibly dramatic so th this is not like i said not a not a new problem in game design but it is one that i i think is interesting to look at because as as games stay around longer, like the more successful a game is, the bigger a problem this is. Generally, you don't see this with games that are kind of designed as like one and done, play through the campaign style, you know, that kind of stuff. It's not that big of a deal. 
it becomes a it really becomes a problem when you have games that are designed to stick around for a while or two and i think maybe more tellingly when there's a pvp aspect because that's when people are like this shit's not fair you know if it's like you versus the ai you can there's always a way you will always be able to figure out a way to uh way to win so to speak or you, you can get around whatever you need to eventually and secure you know like the you know the plus five sort of ass weapon or you know whatever it is you need to beat the ai you'll be able to do that eventually uh usually faster than you think you will but if there's a pvp aspect and there's another human on the other side and you're losing to them and the, and humans can be much more relentless and uh and and troll you harder than than the computer ever thought about um that's where power creep to me is is a real problem when you have pvp games and, and there's no no tiering controls there's fil- there's no real filters on how the pvp is presented yeah and i mean that that actually kind of lends itself to um another discussion that's probably worth having at some point of the difference between pve and pvp and how they are kind of diametrically opposed to each other where in pve games you typically want the players to have power creep so they have a sense of i'm you know killing harder baddies and i'm i'm overpowered and strong and, and you kind of get the diablo effect where you need you're churning through through the content and you know you feel strong and and, and that's good uh where pvp is it wants everything to be even um because you know that's fair and if you get completely nuked and have no chance of, of really retaliating that's not a fun experience uh and so they, they kind of struggle to to work together like that and in many cases in like um MMOs, for example, where you know PVE is kind of the the main focal point, but the, it probably does have a PvP content. They'll actually nerf um, a lot of things. Where, like Final Fantasy XIV, for example, um, certain abilities will have disabled effects that they would normally have in PVE, but they would be broken in PvP because they have to even it out. Um, gear score is always leveled out, so everyone is the same because, as you said, Jay, it's dramatic the difference. Um, and if you allow that big difference to happen, that big difference in progression to happen, it completely destroys the PvP experience. Because, you know, if you're doing 500% more damage, well, that feels great in PvE, but you're going to completely screw the guy in PvP who's new to the game and he's just going to quit. So that's 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 where you run into the issue, where if you have big dramatic differences, it, it does really kind of break down that PvP experience. Um, and so... You know, again, it kind of comes back to the issue of, well, how much should that difference be, um, particularly in a game like Dust or Nova, or where you have a long development curve where players are expecting to develop their character over a long period of time, where do you draw that line? And, you know, once you draw that line, how do you expand it and make it more interesting? Um, so players keep coming back. They don't max out their character and go, eh, well, that's all I, I really want to do. I'm going to stop playing now um, without adding a bunch of fluff content. Um so I mean, like, and I'll go back to World of Tanks briefly. That you know, you have a lot of different types of tanks within each nationality. You've got a lot of nationalities you can pick from. There's a ton of content. Like, so there's over you know almost like 150 tanks, something like that. Tons of content you can go through, and they all play very differently. They each kind of have their own feel to it, and it, it is an interesting thing to kind of go through and, and try different types out. And, and you know that that's enjoyable. That's fun progression, um, but it obviously keeps the power creep in, in check. And so I think that if you want to have a reasonable, you know, power advantage, you have to kind of cut it off at a certain point. And then you have to go sideways. You either have to give more options. Um, specialization is a good way to go because you can, it's not necessarily stronger overall, but it's much better at a particular role. 
Um, you kind of saw a little bit, a little bit of that in Dust. You you see a lot more of it in in Eve Online, where you know your your tier two, your tech two rather. Um, they're obviously very specialized. They're incredibly good at what they do, but you you can't use them for all purpose stuff like you could tech one. Um, that's a good way to do it because you can kind of expand. You know, I'll say diagonally, but it is kind of a side grade in the sense that you're specializing. You're getting better, but not better at everything. That that's a good way to handle it. Um, there's a lot of options out there. It's just kind of a matter of where a game decides to go with it and, and what kind of difference they want players to feel as they progress and, and how they build their systems. It's something they really need to be cognitive of because it can really destroy the experience for people, particularly for new players who may come in and, and hear, oh, yeah, there's no level cap. And they go, oh, well, how's that work? And then they go into their first match and get completely cream because, you know, the power creep is is strong. And they're going to go, this screw this, I'll never catch up. You know, that's that's what you hear from from Eve players and Dust players is I'll never catch up to the to the veterans. And, and that's that's not good. That's really bad for, for player retention. That's not going to grow your game. That's not going to make it be very successful. So, you know, it's it's really incredible. And that's and that's I think it's, it's a conversation definitely worth having for any game that has kind of a long running or at least an intended to run long progression system that it can go bad really quickly if you aren't careful about it. Yeah, you you actually said something that, that kind of made me think about something. I've heard this before, like particularly like Eve Online and stuff like that, that you, you hear that a lot. I can't catch up with these guys. My basic question to that is, should you even be able to? If this guy's been playing whatever, you know, uh, for two years and then you just joined and you've been playing for a month, there's no reasonable expectation that you will that you will ever surpass that given player view if you continue to play um, at the same you know same rate or time consumption. You, you'll never pass that person. Now you could eventually get to in two years to where he is when you first meet him, which I think is totally realistic and and that makes perfect sense to me. But the idea that you must be able to catch up, quote unquote, to whatever. X echelon player that you're dealing with, um, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that that's a good idea either. Because I've watched some games try to do that too fast. Uh, you know, like because the other danger is like you can burn through this really quick. You you can actually, you, you know, you can get you, you know sort of have the the Neo from the Matrix moment where you know like one minute you're kind of doing kung fu and trading shots, and the next one you're flying like Superman. Um, that is that is a problem in and of itself as well. That I, I would just offer. That sometimes it's okay that there's like a nor, the normal progression is that there will always be people with different levels of experience, just based on length of time that they're playing. Eve is probably the best example of that that I can think of, because you it would uh, like it would take an ungodly amount of time to you know, max out a given character. That's why it's very common for long time Eve players to have many many characters that they run simultaneously that are specialized to do different things because of how long it takes to train them. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's a fair point, and I should probably clarify what I meant. When, when I think when people say, I can't catch up, I don't think the expectation is that they will ever actually surpass that person in terms of power. I think that the issue is more so that you're a new player, you come into a game, and there's a guy that you, you face off again who's got two years' experience on you. And... He kicks your ass because you're you're new, you're weak, you feel weak. That's that's to be expected. That's that's fine. Um, but I think that the perception is is that because there is 
no level cap that that new players it's not true it's i mean there is there is an effective max amount of, of power you can have at any given moment you know after that point more sp just gives you more options which is is useful but in that exact moment when you're shooting the guy back and forth at that that moment there is a max amount of sp you could have but new players don't understand they're not going to understand that um you know i will eventually get there but the, the key is is they want to feel that they have a chance to be competitive against that guy. They need to feel like, okay, I am weaker than them. I don't need to surpass his amount of experience. That's that's not a reasonable expectation because you're right. They're never going to catch up if, if both players keep playing. And that's that's fine. You, you should be rewarded for playing a long amount of time. And the newbies shouldn't be escalated way past you or even up to you in a short period of time. That's, that's not fair. It kind of devalues what the time and effort you've put into the game so far. But still, they need to feel like... I'm at least making enough progression as I'm playing the game here that I will be able to at least stand a chance against that guy in three months, four months, whatever, whatever the time period is. I'll never be as strong as him. I'll never, you know, max out like he is, but at least I won't get completely creamed. I have a chance to win my my personal skill is enough to overcome whatever disadvantage I might have over him. I think that's the important part. That's what people really want. And I think that if that perception is not given early on people will just go oh well there's no level cap you know he'll be getting infinitely stronger and i'll just be trailing behind i'm going to be this weak compared to him forever that's what people really don't like and i think that's what you have to worry about yeah i i i absolutely see where you're coming from on that one it's uh like i said the these are these are kind of interesting questions when you apply it across almost any kind of game domain other than something that's like designed with like a, a very flat sort of a um, in-game XP, if you will, whereas the XP is more about the player's individual, his knowledge, like on the other side of the screen. Uh, and there are some games that highlight that very well too, that like you kind of have a flat set of abilities, but um, it's sort of how you, you apply them, how you choose to apply them. Uh, those, those games can actually be quite fun too, by the way. Uh, so I, I think you're, I think you're, you're onto something there. And again, it, I'd be interested to hear a couple different, if we ever pull some of our game dev friends on, this is probably a really good topic we can query on, like how does power creep work, um, you know, or or how do they how do they take a look at that, like how is that a thing, you know, in terms of when they choose to design games, you know, how do they make design choices that uh, that service these problems? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a complicated issue, and it's one that I think um, many developers don't maybe take as seriously as they they should. And I think it can cause a lot of issues and really ruin a, a potentially really great game just because they didn't consider a lot of the the smaller nuances behind progression and power creep. So that's that's you know kind of my thoughts on it. Anyone else, do you want to kind of jump in here, give your thoughts on it before we bring this one in for a close? I guess not. All right. Um, well, I think that's about it. Um, is there any other quick topics you guys want to touch on? I, I think we, we kind of covered everything here. Well, there was another part on that same topic. Sorry, I had to oh, mute myself real quick. Um, on the same topic of progression is to what degree is customization power? What you need. So, okay. So let's say in the same lens of dust, okay? Let's assume that, uh, let's assume that all suits had a uh, stat amount based off of the average amount they could fit in an individual slot. So your standard suit would have the same amount of average stats that you could get from fitting every possible combination in the slots of a prototype version of that suit. 
and true to my form, I made a spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, and, and that's that's another good point is that with customization, you have the potential to cause unintended effects, or at least maybe intended, but you know it can cause issues depending on how it's used in certain situations. I think that's also a, a pretty valid issue. I think that um, in Titanfall and Titanfall 2 kind of went this direction where I think in Titanfall 1 there was a lot more customization and it caused kind of this problem with you had to fit in a certain way because it was it would cause your stats or at least your ability to kind of skyrocket compared to people who fit their, their Titan a different way. And they basically solved it in Titanfall 2 by removing most of the customization and then making it kind of a pre-fit. This is what you get. Um, to kind of even the playing field, but at the same time, kind of lost some of that depth. So I think that's also a, a pretty valid concern in terms of you know power creep and and how your progression, or in this case, your um, your, your kind of your gear progression or how gear works with each other, uh, is, is also a, a pretty potentially big problem. And to what degree could customization be used as a progression tool to help uh, balance between a newer player and an older player? Say you give the older player the veteran far more customization so that they can specialize within a given role. But you give the uh, newer player a generalized suit, something without a whole lot of customization, but is a good general purpose starting point. So in that example, you're saying that you would have... Um, the beginner suit is kind of a uh, higher base stats, but in this case, like less slots. So you have less things you can do with it, but you're kind of guaranteed a flat line of, of how strong it's going to be. Whereas uh, a more advanced suit might have you know lower base stats, but the option to customize and thus specialize more in a certain direction and and kind of give them because they have the know-how and the experience and the modules unlocked to build a fit a certain way. They could actually be far more effective in a particular role opposed to a generalized starter suit, which is, it's going to work in most situations, but, you know, if you go up against the guy in the situation where he's custom-built his suit, he's still going to wipe the floor with you. Is, is that kind of what you're getting at? Uh, basically, yeah. Is cust In my mind, at least, customization facilitates uh, specialization rather than generalization. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 a good way to look at it. It's, it's, um, it's an interesting direction to take it. Um, you also kind of have to factor in in bonuses and that sort of thing um, if you're looking at in the context of you know, Eve or Dust or whatever, um, and how that's going to specialize out. So I mean that that is that is a good way to kind of approach it. I think it's definitely worth exploring and, and kind of looking more in depth um, how letting players who have more experience and, and understanding of the system, uh, giving them the ability to kind take advantage of that and then use it in a way that's going to give them an advantage that, you know, is going to be useful for their particular style of play. I think that's, that's a good way to look at it. Uh, anything else on, on that guys, in terms of, you know, specialization being used as a means of progression to kind of give a, an advantage that's still not overbearing in terms of gear, that is. Nah, I think, I think they, I think pretty much covered a, covered that pretty well. Like I said, that's, that's a really good topic that we probably want to file away next time we have uh, some of our dev friends on. Yeah, it'll be that, that. That's actually a really good one. So if if we can get some some devs on here to, you know, from various outlets, it would be good to get some opinions from different types of games because, like you know, like we said, we've covered quite a few here that all kind of behave differently, and it is it is interesting to see how each behaves in their own genre and or just between companies and, and whatnot. All right, guys, I think we're gonna bring this one in for a close. Um, really good topic. I wanna I wanna thank Thaddeus for that one. It's it's one that I'd love to hear more about. Um, in the comments and if you 
you know want a follow-up video if you guys or sorry follow-up uh discussion um we can certainly do that as well but let's go into some shout outs here and uh, kind of bring this in for a close we're running pretty long on time so uh, i know zell actually he did his homework and he put his shout outs in the show notes so he is good to go and we're going to start with zell all right um yeah so i i actually have two shout outs that i have um, and the uh, both of them involve uh, videos, so you will need to uh, check out the show notes um, when the show is posted to watch them, uh, or you know search YouTube because it's not that hard. Um, so the first one is to a video called uh, Dog Wick, um, which is uh, a little tale about what happens uh, when uh, someone killed John Wick's dog's human, who also happens to be known as John Wick. Um, and this is just a, it was kind of a fun little uh, fan video mashup that uh, amused me greatly. Um, and uh, everybody saw that, right? I told everybody to watch it. Yes. All right. So, yeah, it's good. Um, and then uh, the other one was, you know, as I talked about uh, last week, I mentioned my favorite uh, Super Bowl commercial. But there's another one that I didn't mention, and I felt that was an omission because they're fantastic. Um and that is, uh, and we talked about it actually a bit today, is uh, World of Tanks actually has had some amazing commercials, including ones they played during the Super Bowl. Um, and uh, my personal favorite uh, involves a, a teensy house that uh, gets run over by a tank. Um, and uh, there, there's this, uh, there's one that's like this like housewives drama thing, and there's one that's uh, uh, for, it, it's like a, it's a male enhancement drug commercial for stiff edra and then this tank just rolls through it's it's they're just they're brilliant commercials they're short they're hilarious um i literally i had to i had to send a, a tweet out to uh, our good friend Saberwing uh to just tell him to, that whoever was involved in coming up with these deserved a big strong kudos kudos from us because uh it's just well done i, I will have to say this uh i I didn't realize they were going to have any commercials during the Super Bowl, which is crazy ad money, by the way, like absolutely crazy money to put those on. Um, but th- I think that was one. I think those were the only video game commercials during the Super Bowl, which is normally that's where you see you will occasionally see them like throughout like some kind of high speed, big name ultra, Uber AAA coming out or something. But uh, I was incredibly surprised to see World of Tanks. That also should give you a pretty good idea of what its baseline popularity is, uh, like globally. Because, uh, like I said, it started outside of North America and had a ridiculous huge following, like worldwide. So, if, if they're airing that in the Super Bowl, that probably gives you a little bit of a fingertip feel on uh, the average popularity of that game as, in, as far as how it's going in North America, particularly on console. Uh, so just a thought there. Yeah, because it's the, uh, it's the Ameri- Wargaming North America handles all of the console stuff. Um, and, uh, where, where's the original? Is it, is it Russia? Yeah, it's, uh, Belarus. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, yeah, so, um, and, and we've had Saberwing on a couple times and he's, uh, the community manager for, uh, Wargaming North America. And, uh, so, uh, you know, you can look back to those episodes if you're curious. All right, all right, Bate, you good to go? Or are you still coughing? Bate's having trouble with his uh, no, his dude, I I stopped coughing for about five minutes. And I want to give a, a shout out this week uh, to a special kind of people. So, you know those people who go into work and they're like, "I'm sick," and you look over at them and you think, well, "Why the fuck are you here?" Okay, 
I'll give a shot to those people, right? Who who go to work in school, and they know they're sick, right? They know they're sick, and they still go into public. Like, don't if you're sick or you think you're sick, man, don't go out, don't go to work, don't go to school, don't don't go anywhere that is with a doctor's office, right, man? Because nobody wants your shit. I don't want it, nobody else. So shout out to those people. Y'all are cool. Mm-hmm. We like Asians and just wear a mask, you know. Oh man. <laughs> nah. No, just stay home. That's, no, not, actually... that's not for germs, though. That's for, like, being able to breathe in all the smog. No, that, that actually is for germs. Do they yeah, do that, in, too? In, okay. in, in China, I think it's more of a smog issue, but in Japan, it's more of a courtesy. Like, oh, I know I, I have the plague. I'd like not to give it to you. You know, please don't touch me inappropriately. Thank you. <laughs> but But other times, it's okay to touch inappropriately, is what you're saying. Well... <laughs> Okay, this this is this is too much for for young bait. You may be eighteen, but um, you know, but seriously, bait. I've actually I've had a coworker who was sitting ha- you know hacking up a lung in the desk next to me, and I've walked to my boss's office and said, "You send him home, or I'm going home because he's not going to infect me. I cannot bother to be sick again." And she sent him home. It's like stay home if you're sick. It's absolute hell for everyone because they just keep circling around. You know, the whole office is sick for months. Then, all right, Libby, give a shout out. Uh, yeah, a sh- well, I don't know if it's really a shout out, but, you know, thank you for the Japanese people, Nintendo, thinking that in our free time, we want to play a simulator about raising a newborn. That's where I'm leaving it. If you saw the mini games <laughs> they're coming out with, you can milk a cow, raise a child. I don't think I want to do that every time. This, this should tell you the, about the, the fall of modern Western civilization when... The majority of our shows are "quote unquote" reality, so that we can see how other people live vicariously, and we need shit like goat simulators and baby simulators. That's, right? Farm that, simulators, that like very, come very, on. very sketchy. Yeah, I haven't tried it yet, but uh, you know, one of the one of the big popular titles for uh, VR is Job Simulator, where you like sit in a, sit in an office and do a desk job. <laughs> no, uh, it's really popular too. Is the thing. Yeah, it's it's like one of the top ones that's mentioned for any of the VR headsets, and I have not tried it yet. But uh, it, yeah, it, when when we are now like staying home to put on our giant, super expensive VR headset to to do desk work, <laughs> we have uh, we've we've gone we're, off. The deep we're end. gone. We're gone. <laughs> All right, um, Thaddeus, you got a shout out, man? I've uh, got a shout out for the Stratios pilot who is chasing me through six wormhole systems. Good job putting forth that effort. Isn't that the best? Like, just going through wormholes and, and then having some fucker come up behind you for, you know, six or seven jumps and just try to... It, it was even better because I was just in a uh, Tech 1 scanning ship. So I had no book. <laughs> nah. It's pro status right there. Uh, all right, Jay, shout out, man. Uh, yeah, sure. So I'll give a uh, quick uh, shout out to our, our friends over at Hairbrain Schemes. They're about to go into uh, open, or not open, but into a closed beta for their Battletech game. So really looking forward to that. Uh, they just dropped their notification that's coming out here, I think maybe by the end of the month or early in March uh, for Battletech for, for their beta. Really good gr- good group of guys. They've got a fantastic, uh, very positive sort of online forum forum experience. If you want to go over there to uh, to Battletech uh, BattletechGame.com, they can. Uh, it, it's really kind of cool. So if you're a fan of like mechs and stuff like that, and you really dig like XCOM style games, this is probably going to be for you. And it's got a long long tabletop history 
in terms of uh, you know, kind of where it came from. So highly recommend you check that out. I would also like to give a shout out to uh, to Hal Moore, uh, Lieutenant General Retired Hal Moore. Uh, for those of you who saw that movie, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, or We Were Soldiers Once, there's a book also uh, that featured Hal Moore. Uh, he was a uh, a bigger than life character in the United States military. Uh, he recently he recently passed away uh, yesterday. In fact, uh, iconic leader throughout the you know, the sixties and the seventies, and uh, was really kind of the guy that you would point to if you wanted to show somebody what you thought an ideal uh, your patriot and leader was. Uh, very very astute, very articulate, uh, a true a true profession professional uh, in in the, every sense of the word, and a gentleman. Fantastic guy. I actually got to hear him, hear, hear him speak a couple of times. Uh, and I was formerly in, in the unit that, uh, that he commanded in that, in that movie and in, in that book, uh, uh, 1st Battalion, 7th Cavalry, uh, Gary Owen. So I hats off to, uh, Lieutenant General Hal Moore and, uh, you know, and, uh, our thoughts are, or at least my thoughts are with his family. Okay. That's good. That's good. Um, and my shout out this week is going to be to a YouTuber by the name of Vati Vidya. Uh, he actually does quite a few of really, really well narrated um, videos about the lore and the story behind the Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Bloodborne uh, games. I've been pretty much binge listening to his his stuff all week long. Uh, very well done. Very fantastic. It's actually inspired me to pick up and restart my save of bloodborne and and try to get through that thing again and, and pass the spider boss i i couldn't handle so uh props to him for some really good stuff i, I do suggest you go check out his videos if you're a fan of the Soulsborne series or anything of that sort so uh that being said i think we are good to bring this one in for a close a pretty long one uh once again thanks to thaddeus for for joining us as a guest and bringing us a, a pretty interesting topic i think it's probably one we'll we'll probably touch on at a later date again just because it is is pretty vast and i would like to get some some thoughts from other game developers on you know what what they what they do and to deal with with progression and, and that sort of thing so Thanks for bringing that one to us. Uh, really good. And uh, as usual, if you have any topics uh, you want us to discuss, you want to come on the show and discuss them with us, or just have us, uh, you know, banter about it, uh, let us know. You can email us, Twitter. All the information is on the website at biomoss.net. And uh, yeah, so thanks for tuning in, and I hope you all have a good night. <laughs>